We've got BB for free. That's what I'm calling this episode today. <laughs> We're going to get a small dose of Brian Becker. I always enjoy Brian Becker. Got him to come to my house. He's sitting out in the kitchen uh, for this episode of, of What the Funk. You and I met, jeez, uh, it was like right before the pandemic. <laughs> it was. Like you, were, you were managing an RFP uh, for evaluating ERP systems. And we met, I think, maybe in person once. And then all of our interactions for like almost a year were then over the internet, right? Finally got back <laughs> together in person and started to realize like, hey, I, think, I think we could be friends. Love fantasy Dude. football. Got young families. You actually live right. kind of on this side of town. Are you Thornton or Broomfield? Uh, Thornton or the Northside Denver crew. So yeah, yeah I think there was a there was a deck es- escapade. Um, at least once that we both needed to be like, we need to see people <laughs> in person. You stand on the other side of my deck. Right. Let's watch. You know, hang out. So yeah, you you live I think on a golf course. So and it was a beautiful yeah. afternoon. That was fun. I gave you a Funk Futures hat, and then you returned the favor, and you gave me this this class four thing. But I want to give everybody the full dose of of Brian Becker. You're you're what I would consider sort of like the the new wave of IT technology leader um, that that I've met. And and your background, we met when you were in oil and gas, but your background actually came from from outside of that. So I, I want the full story. I think that you are basically from the middle of nowhere in in Iowa. But I, I want to hear like. Who are you, Brian Becker? That's the question I like to ask. Who is oh, Brian, yeah. Brian Becker? So I'll tell you about myself. I guess it's like a job interview question. Is uh, yep. First and foremost, I like consider myself a husband and a daddy. I got two littles. Um, and uh, they mean a lot to me, basically everything. And, and, and uh, most of my life is revolved around scheduling around a six-year-old and a, and a three-year-old terrorist. She's nuts because she's a lot <laughs> of fun. And uh, just balancing... Uh, trying to kick my own business off and then taking care of my babies. So uh, a lot of fun and trying to raise them upright. But uh, ultimately is like in my professional career, my side is like what I want to do is I want to drive uh, drive value and work with great humans on interesting pro- uh, interesting projects that satiate my curiosity and mm-hmm. my just my utter need to learn, right? And so I'm always reading, I'm always learning. I always want to apply. I always want to think in, in how I can help people meet, meet their maximum potential by applying technology or just uh, communicating and networking with people. So uh, gun to my head, you know, say, describe me in three words. It's family, curiosity, teamwork, or integrity, something like that. And technology. I, I do owe you and a thank you as well. Sure. <laughs> I do owe you a thank you as well. I'm not even sure I've done this in person, but I owe it to you publicly. We sat down at La Loma to have lunch, and I was trying to get in your head about maybe buying some NFTs. And you shot okay. that down so hard that it prevented me from buying one, which is a good thing because I was going to spend like 1200 bucks on something that's worth maybe 15 cents <laughs> today. If that. But you're like, dude, it's just oh. a link. It's just a link to a server. If that's what you're looking for, I can give you that for a lot less than 1200 bucks. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. Yeah, it's that. just a link to a JPEG that I can copy and replicate <laughs> without any you know, remediation. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's my history and in, in, in and I pride myself a lot as like, I like to think independently on how this crypto stuff or how this latest and greatest technology can, can be used. And I'm not afraid to shoot stuff down. I think I've saved people hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in my network of saying, do not buy this or buy this, you know? So 
uh, maybe I should have started that crypto hedge fund multiple years ago. I don't know. So, oh man. So at, let's just jump right into that. This is the Digital yeah. Wildcatters podcast. You know, we talked about this earlier. They've got. I was just down in Houston at Fuse. Had a great time. Aside from like the absolutely bone chilling Houston weather, all I heard about all summer was, wow. "Oh my God, it's so hot down here." <laughs> And then I show up and it was like, it was windy and cold, right? It led into Halloween. It definitely felt like fall, but had a great time of fuse. Got to see some people that, um, th- that I really like to see. Uh, I talked about this before, uh, Matt Harriman and, and pod two sure. ran, ran into the prepad guys who recently just got funded from Devin, saw Trey Lowe, nice. um, CTO over at Devin. And then really like, you know, Andrew Chan, a good buddy of mine, uh, who's in the VC community. Don't get to see him a ton, but when I do, it's it's always fun. We went to Taste of Texas, first time getting a steak at Taste of Texas. So nice. Did you out. and Neilan do the did you and Bobby Neilan do the Immaculate Grid together? <laughs> no, no, that is a fun text thread though we have the three of us though. See who can beat each other and get get the lowest score or at least get all the Immaculate nice. Grids correct. But um, right. no, I I saw Bobby briefly in, in the VIP at at Fuse on Tuesday. He's the same high energy, really bright. Uh, one of my faves over at Grayson Mill, another podcaster. But so to bring it back to sort of like the cryptocurrency conversation, you know, I actually think from an attendance perspective, this surprised me. The Empower Conference that Digital Wildcatters did had more people than Fuse. So clearly they've branched really strong into this whole like mining, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency Mm. community. And when I go to that show, I know like four or five people. When I go to Fuse, I feel like I know about half the people. So it was fascinating to be like, whoa, I think there were more people at at Empower, which lends me to think like either there's less conferences for that arena hmm. or there's more curiosity around it than sort of what we already know within oil and gas or oil and gas tech. So give me your opinion then, your, your straight truth, Brian Becker, on sure. cryptocurrency. How do you feel about it? Well... Uh, let me circle back first and, and comment on why I think uh, Empower gets so much um, so much push is that you look at a number of the cryptocurrency you know uh, conferences out there. It's all about making money, some speculation, and things like that. Is they've got a great development team of like they're going to make my two cent token worth fifteen cents and get out right. Empower yeah. is more of a practical application of energy and weight and potentially waste that's stranded natural gas or a stranded product in which that you can convert to something of value. And so right. I think that's really, really a, uh, a powerful use case for producers that have this, you know, waste product in the middle of the Permian or in the Bakken that they're flaring natural gas, they can make some money off of it. But as far as crypto, I think, um, it went through the hype and speculation where people made made fortunes. I certainly participated in that. I didn't make a fortune, but enough to do some home renovations. But um, there, there's some serious critical thinking on the use case of blockchain in general, yeah. uh, tokenization economics, and just basically the value that it adds to society. Right, right now is like your bet on Bitcoin. If you're going to hold that, is it's a bet against almost the U.S. dollar. It's a it's an inter- intermediate independent currency, right? That's yep. not governed by anything. It's you know, uncensorable, etc. But you're really seeing the United States government just really crack down on it. We can see with the bit, uh, the um, 
the FTX and Sam Brinkman freed. And then you have uh, the meltdown of uh, a very big exchange overseas right now that there's hype with fraud. So you really have to be cognizant on the use case and really be a believer and to weed through the political ramifications, the, the, the risks there to be able to make an investment or just really buy into that ecosystem and develop product on Ethereum or, or really believe that, you know, ripples and be the really cross the cross governmental uh, method for settlements, et cetera. So a lot of mm-hmm. critical thinking that you need to do and pay attention to what the big players are doing because they're not going to let this go lightly. But digitization of the dollar is a very big deal. Um, digitization of currency, using a blockchain technology, implementation of blockchain and using like for supply chain challenges and cross country or not, I mean, cross third party agreements, et cetera, with smart contracts. Very big deal. I can definitely see that coming down the pike. Nice. So are you, would you say you're bullish on it or you want to see regulation come through first? Like what, what do you, what do you think is the outlook if you were to say on someone that holds cryptocurrency? Cause I do, I have a Coinbase account, you know, I have Robin yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind, yeah. kind of like, you know, I've been checking it more lately when things are looking good. It's sort of like, you know, having a, a season long fantasy team, you spend a lot more time <laughs> on the CBS sports line sports page or Yahoo fantasy page when your team's winning. Uh, then when you're losing same thing with, with stocks. So uh, or crypto. So w- what is your take? Would you say you're overall bullish? I would say I'm bullish, but don't bet your house on it. I would say um, if if you are me and I'm me, um, the best way of profiting on cryptocurrency is buying a little bit every single month and just l- don't even look at it. You'll wake up in 10 years. See, see, see where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the, don't the, be surprised if it disappears, right? This is not financial well, advice, <laughs> but what I would do is what I'm doing. I'm just telling you what I'm doing is every month I buy a little bit, not, not a ton, but yeah. Uh, yeah, enough to hopefully, you know, win the lottery. It's like if you bought GameStop, if you buy GameStop stock right now and say, you know what? In case this Moas or whatever these apes are talking about blows up, I want to have a little <laughs> piece of the pie, you know, but I don't know if you believe in that, but uh, what, what it's, it's like time. What a wild yeah. time that was with, with GameStop. I, I, yeah. One of my best friends from college, Dan Marcus, shout out Dan Marcus. He got a uh, 1600 on his SATs. I don't know what, I think he goes to like 1800 <laughs> now, okay. but he, he basically got like a perfect score, but they don't tell you, you know, you took that, the SATs probably. Um, I didn't know. I was in Iowa where the ACT shop. AC, ACTs. Okay. So in the Northeast, yeah. I took the ACTs too, because you either needed the SATs and SAT twos for most colleges yeah. um, or SAT and ACT. So very different, different types of, of tests. But on the SATs, that was sort of like the, the standard standardized test on, in the Northeast and I got to Brandeis as a freshman and Dan Marcus was on my hall and people started, the, the, you know, the, the whispers started going around like, hey, man, this guy got a 1600. This guy got a perfect <laughs> score. I'm like, oh, I got to go talk to this guy. So yeah. I, I chatted it up with him and he said, yeah, indeed, he got a, he got a 1600. Um, a, a fairly funny story. So, so he went to high school in New Jersey and there's a lot of funny stories about this kid not just related oh, to boy. SATs, but <laughs> he, he did really well. I think when he was in sixth grade, he got a 1340 on his SAT. Okay. So like, Oh my gosh, level. that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And then his sophomore year, he took the PSATs as sophomores. They have you take the pre SATs just to sort of give you a sense of what it looks like, give you some reps. And I think mm-hmm. he got like a 1580 or 1590. Oh, wow. So his guidance counselor's like, 
dude, you should just take the SATs like this year because then you have it, right? You have your score. It doesn't need to hang over your head for next year. Take it as a senior. You've got your score, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, fine. And he got a 1590. And they're like, great job. You got a 1590. You should really go for a 1600. He's like, no, I'm good. I'm good with the 1590. You said if I just took it now, it's good. So they made a rule at that point that it was a requirement for all juniors then to take the SATs. So he's okay. like, okay, great. They're like, you basically, no, we're, we're not going to let you graduate for this. And oh, he's geez. like, all right, fine. So as a junior, you got, <laughs> you got a 1600. And for all the kids in the country that got a 1600, I think he said there was like 30 other kids. They invite you to the White House. Okay. And like you meet the president. And all really? this, it's very, there's just not a lot of kids that get it. Right. So he went to the White House and they actually tell you, because you can get up to five or six wrong and still get a 1600. Sure. And they tell you which ones you get wrong. Right. So he got, oh, really? he got one wrong. And I think he stewed on it for a little while. Um, oh my but, gosh. It'd, be, it'd just be infuriating, right, for him. Yeah, he's just like, you got to be. He's like, ah, really? I thought I got a different one wrong, maybe. But just just like a, cal- a human calculator, right? Really, really sharp. Well, sure. he was telling me in late 2020, he's like, there's this GameStop thing going on. He, he's an accountant and, and he's obviously good with numbers. It's like, I don't know why, but like I'm, I'm just getting a lot of like signs about this GameStop thing, and you should huh. try to invest in it. So I asked my financial advisor. He's like, I don't see any reason why this logically would go up, but like if you're interested in it, maybe just like buy some in like a Robinhood account or something like that. Sure, I can't sure. give, give you financial advice to move forward with it. Anyways, uh, Dan Mark has figured out how to kind of work the system, and he made about two million dollars off of GameStop oh my gosh. In, that, in that crazy short period of time. Unreal. I was just a little bit late to it, but I remember him sending me his like statements. He's like, "Man, I just made a hundred thousand dollars yesterday." I'm like, "Wow, that sounds pretty nice. Yeah, good for you." Yeah, the the movie is just pretty incredible. I haven't seen the movie yet, but like yeah. that's my favorite part about like competition and rivalry and, and using data to you know to get an advantage is that even just in, in, in that scenario is like people found out a way of, yeah. and they banded together. It's just, it's, it's the truth is stranger than fiction. It's just like, it's an incredible story that we'll probably tell our kids sometime about, you know, there's like all these guys banded together, they found something and they outwitted wall street with all their quants that don't speak English or whatever, you know, from Moneyball yeah. or not Moneyball from, uh, uh, the, the movie about the housing shortage, the big short. So big short. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. But just a, just a crazy time that was, I mean, and, and then I do want to see that movie that came out, Pete Davidson and um, I guess Seth, Seth Rogen, it, that it, it yeah. captures a period of time. And I do remember at the time talking to some people, I'm like, they're going to make a movie about this. Like this is just way, to. way it's too It's a insane. no-brainer. And Robin Hood got shut down in the afternoon. There's all these conspiracy theories, right? The hedge yep. fund guys are in on it. But just just completely insane. But also it shows like the democratization of information, right? Because that right. started on Reddit and people can do their own analysis and share their analysis, it created a bit of a transfer of wealth in ways that really weren't available before because this was mm. a little bit more of a black box, right? Right. Um, how do you share that level of information? Um, which, which to me is, is super fascinating, but, um, what a time, I mean, coming up yeah. on two years ago, plus I feel like everybody felt like they were a day trader at that point, right? Because we're at <laughs> home so much more and stocks were just going crazy in general. So yeah. everyone's like, yeah, I guess now I'm a professional day trader. Yeah. When everything's going like, up. 
Yeah, the Barstool guys, Davey Day, Day Trader was doing a live YouTube stream. <laughs> it was like, we're betting on Amazon. And, and, and he'd just be cussing and ringing bells. And like, what else are you going to do? You know, you can only watch so much Netflix and people have money from government, whatever. Or they're not having to go out to eat at drive every day, right? So, yeah, yeah it's just, it's, it's, I don't know how we're going to uh, recap. I, I've been thinking about this. It's like, how am I going to explain to my kids? It's like, yeah, you were born during COVID and all this stuff. And we'll talk about, I mean, how did we work and how did it change and rapidly accelerate, you know, the hybrid work from home and, and just the way that people want to work now. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a insane part of our lives in the last couple of years. So completely. It, and yeah, I think that the, the scars are still too fresh to, to give like, oh, sure. um, a full autopsy on it. But I, I think we'll probably get there in the next few years. I am curious for you, right? I think at the time you were, you were running an IT group in oil and gas. Mm-hmm. And in oil and gas, as you know, everything's traditionally in person, right? For sure. And then all of a sudden you get hit with this COVID thing. You're managing an IT group. What happened? Mm-hmm. Are you just like, okay, well, now we're all going to work remote? Or did you feel like you came back to the office a little bit sooner? Like, just generally speaking, being, being an IT leader at an oil and gas company at that time, what was, it, what was it like? Oh, man. So not only was I leading an oil and gas company at the time, we were also in the middle of a transformational integration and acquisition. Uh, natural gas prices and oil prices were super volatile. Um, my wife was eight months pregnant and, um, I, I started getting a premonition as we were preparing for this integration. And I started reading the news reports of something going on in Seattle. And I was like, okay, I called my brother-in-law who was in New York at the time. And he was running an orthopedic uh, fellowship out there uh, for sports medicine. And he's like, Hey man, uh, I'm keeping an eye on this, but they're converting our beds into a ward for COVID. Oh, and man. so I immediately called my firewall providers and, and my managed service provider and been like, we have to prepare for everyone to be working from home remotely. So we we were ahead of the game a little bit um, because we were we at the time were a very much an in-person shop uh, for oil and gas. And then uh, COVID happened and we were already prepped and ready to go. So we were already fully cloud or, or close to fully cloud that we were able to do the remote access. So it didn't really bother us too much. Just some rapid training on, on Microsoft Teams, but it really affected the integration in, uh, in all that whole, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the whole transaction. It changed because we had to do a yeah. full transformation of the entire software stack remotely from COVID with all these people that may not have been working from home or it, it was a very busy time. Um, and as you know, it's like doing an in-person conversion from a very large independent for a transformational change is, is it's, it was hard to find the right people. We couldn't get them in the room and look at them and have lunch and learn those, <laughs> yeah. the, the secret. Hey, have you thought about this? this? Hey, this is where it might trip you up. And it was just a, a very unique time. Yeah, no, that that's fascinating for me. And, and I've asked a lot of different IT leaders how, how it was handled. Like, for example, Continental Resources, IT just kept coming into the office. Like that was part wow. of what, what ha- like, you know, the CEO was like, hey, this is something that we need to do. Oklahoma was, wasn't quite as firm on shutdown. So uh, most of the people at that company kept coming in. Uh, I think same thing with, with Hill Corp and a few others. There's some stories about that. And then you look at like Devin, and I think things fundamentally really started to shift. I think they were sort of already doing like a day a week at home. And mm-hmm. not only has that stuck, now they're doing a little bit more remote. Than, than they were 
previously. So I, so much accelerated in a short period of time. And I think where companies did have opinions or preferences for remote or in-person work, everyone sort of started to dig in a little bit harder. Um, prior to getting the oil and gas industry, you were at, I think, Cronky. You were in the sports industry, sports. right? So what, what was uh, that like? That feels like a dream, right? Like I remember, this is my podcast, so of course I got to make it about yeah. me. But so sure, I'm, sure. A jun- I'm a junior in college. And I was in just outside of Boston. So I started looking at all these internships and jobs. And I'm like, man, none of these sound any good except for one. And that was giving tours of Fenway Park, right? Huge Red Sox fan, you know, diehard. And I applied and I didn't hear anything back. And I reached back out again. They're like, we're really sorry. We've had thousands of applications for three spots. And this this job pays $10.50 an hour. Like, are you, I'm like, I still want it. I do it for free, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but to me, it's sort of like, if you get that chance to, to work in the sports industry, you're a little more excited about it. At least guys like you and I are, we're big sports fans. So what was that like? And, and does that level of excitement start to fade when it actually becomes your like day-to-day life? Talk about what it's like working for a sports company. So yeah, to be a little bit more clear on, yes, I worked for uh, Stan Kroenke's, basically his business arm, uh, Kroenke Sports and Entertainment. And they are a conglomerate of not only just sports teams, the Nuggets, the Avalanche, uh, the Colorado Rapids, the Mammoth Lacrosse team. They also have radio stations, television stations, vineyards. Wow. They they run those drones that fly over college football games and NFL games called, um, oh man, I can't remember it off the top of my head, Skycam. And yeah. uh, among magazines, all sorts of things. So I wasn't doing just sports every day, but I went to the arena to go to work, which was just surreal. Like I've seen, I could hear from my office, like Pink do a sound check and all these other bands do That's sound cool. checks and things like that. It's just, it's a, it's a crazy perk of the job. But I, I'll never forget um, my second or third year, I was, the, I was running information security. And it was the first night of the Nuggets game. And there's an enormous power outage within the arena within like the first quarter. They had to pause the game. And I immediately was like, okay, is someone inside our arena? And so I have to go there and help manage that risk. So it makes you look at it from a different light. But cool. um, but it's also kind of fun. Is like, hey, uh, we're going to go to the playoffs. There's going to be the risks that we have to help take care of is we can't have a disruption in broadcast. So we have to partner with right. the NBA, make sure that our information security is there. So yes, it makes you think a little bit differently. Does the light fade at all? Uh, not really. Cause it's, it's just a unique organization is that um, your, your job is to enable teams to entertain people and yeah. eyeballs, ear eyeballs and eardrums are your main method of adding value so they can sell ads and sell tickets and things like that. So ultimately I wanted to transition out of that role, uh, that role because like, a big thing for me is like I grew up on a farm is like I want to add value in something that, you know, that I find super duper meaningful in the world. Not that I don't want to discount like sports and things like that. It's always been a passion of mine of competition. But I felt that it's like, you know what, I need to to do something in my life that I feel that I can add, uh, move the ball a little bit better for, for my people, my friends around me that that has a little bit more value. Yeah. And I think oil and gas like fundamentally does, does make you feel like that. Right. It just, uh, you know, more of a broad stroke. It's, it's, uh, more of a necessity than it is a, uh, a piece of entertainment. Correct. Um, that's cool. So, uh, you recently launched your own company, shout out class four 
I got an amazing Yeti. Thank you for that. I think this is a 46 ounce Yeti. I've been drinking much sure. more water since you gave it to me. Thank you for that. It says class four. Looks like there's some sort of representation of the mountains, maybe some rapids, right? I know that yeah, you yeah. like go, going out on the the rivers and and uh, and doing all that. And it says IT cyber and data. So so what does this mean? Sure. What is cl- congratulations on launching your own thing? I've been doing my Thank own you. thing now for about three years. Lots of ups ups and downs. I, I appreciate you coming and and picking my brain. It reminds me a little bit of when I was starting out, where it's it's your you feel like you're sort of eating an elephant and how do you do that one bite at a time? But you definitely cracked the code on the logo. I love this, but class four it cyber data. What, what do you guys do? So, uh, we, what we try to do is to be your, basically your guide, nice, uh, water drink there, a little branding. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Uh, we, we try to supply the market oil and gas companies with, uh, unique expertise is being your guide through getting through what I like to call your technology rapids. And the way that I came up with class four is that um, I was out rafting with a good friend of mine, Ted Runkle. He's like the the master of the upper Colorado or the, the Arkansas River down in Salida. And we came across this river, this rapid called Seidel Suckhole. And yeah, he's like, all right, this is a class four rapid. We got to get, get ready to go over this. I was like, well, how many classes are there? Well, depending on the international whitewaters, five or six. Five, though, is extreme. You, you don't want to go down this, this without risking death. There's uncharted turns. Where class four is, you can navigate it with a uh, – there's some, some rapids. It's going to be difficult, but you can navigate that with an expert. And I'm like, huh. And this is about the time I'm trying to think about, like, what's my name of my company? What do I want nice. to do? And I was like, class four, looked at the domain name. It's there. I was like, we're going to call it this. So ultimately, nice. is I call this is like, I want to help you navigate technology rapids, which are headwinds, challenges, business challenges, transformations, evolutions, big projects, or compliance issues, and, res- and get through those with um, certainty, with confidence, uh, using best practices, and having somebody that's actually done a lot of the work on the IT, cyber, and data side. Um, I have a deep kind of a unique experience and skill set in which that I've built programs from IT and cyber. I've dealt with um, a number of consulting problems with re- uh, regulatory. Uh, I've been on the other side from a consultant and assessor side. And so yeah. I want to be able to use that to help advise my clients on getting through major challenges, enabling the business with, with IT and data, um, and just generally making their lives better by utilizing technology and, and implementing mm-hmm. digital uh, a digital footprint or digital thought, thought process. So, all right. That, that's a lot, right? And, and I, it's I like a lot. To- I'd like to I'd like to simplify that a little bit. Sure. Is is your offering catered toward any specific industry or do you see this as like a generic IT technology challenge that really is across all verticals? So specifically, I, I'm, I'm initially going out and, and focusing with upstream oil and gas companies. I okay. think I've, okay. I've, I've had some, some very good success with that in my previous role um, and just talking with a uh, current client that I have and then as well as uh, the challenges and changes that they're doing now with Industry 4.0 and taking IT digital technologies, converting that to actually adding value rather than just showing stuff on a dashboard or a screen. Yeah. And, uh how to use cloud, how to use, uh, gosh, even AI to a certain point. It's, it's really buzzy right now. But where does this all fit in, into my, um, where does it all fit into my formula? And then on top of that is cybersecurity is changing so quickly right now. 
especially after uh, Colonial Pipeline, as well as the SEC, SEC yeah. charging CISOs with fraud, like those changes on the business political side, uh, companies I don't think are prepared for it. Uh, and they need some guidance in going that way. And so uh, I think this is a, a good time for me to go and help my advisory, especially in the oil and gas, uh, oil and gas industry. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, I, yeah, you, you have my mind racing a little bit with the colonial hack. Like that, that is a big deal. And, and for whatever reason, just, you know, I've been selling technology to various different, mm-hmm. um, y- you know, personas within oil and gas. But, but when it's technology that you're selling, eventually you will deal with, um, you know, converse with, strategize with, uh, get shot down by the IT group. Right in oil and gas companies, right. and and to me, very few of these companies actually, until you get to like the really big ones, have a, a strong emphasis on cybersecurity. I think it's in part because IT has been viewed as like a service to the business, and what service mm-hmm. does cybersecurity provide necessarily directly for the business? Yeah, it helps keep the lights on, but it's only a problem and once it becomes a problem. So I think what you're doing makes a ton of sense. I could actually see this. Um, working in, in a couple different ways, at least on the cyber side for one, bigger companies that want uh, somebody who has like advisory consulting level expertise to sort of help them with the playbook. And then on the, the smaller oil and gas operator side to literally execute the playbook, right? Because if they only sure. have one or two IT people and they're primarily in a, a support or service capacity, how are they going to execute those strategies? So I, I think it logically makes a ton of sense for me to go back a little bit, um, because I'm a consultant, right? Fundamentally mm-hmm. with, with functures sure. and also really kind of have made my pitch to upstream oil and gas. I do think it'll be interesting for you as you start getting demand from other industries, because we've started to see that a little bit now too, right? You, you develop a network of people. And if you do good work, then maybe it's a, a VC, right? Or an investor or yeah. an executive that moves industries and says, well, this person might not have the subject matter expertise, but they're really good at this, right? They're really good at implementing a CRM or managing your pipeline or doing lead generation or, or helping sort of map out a strategic sales process. That stuff goes beyond any industry. So I think it'll be interesting, at least for me to watch with you, um, how your business may diversify in terms of industries just based on yeah. the demand that you get. So, so something I definitely want to keep um, an eye on. I'm personally surprised that class four was available. It feels like with all, especially Me in like too. a place out here with <laughs> the nature, like something like that would not be a funk futures, whatever. Why did I pick that? Because I like the way that it sounds. And because of the recruiting around, people are like, oh, so you trade like futures. I'm like, absolutely not. Nothing of the sort, no finance background at all. But I like the fact that it's F-U-F-U, right? It kind of looks clean <laughs> in, that, in yeah. that regard. Maybe some subtle meaning there, right? There you go. Uh, but, but also, Fufu, um, foo-foo. It, it was available, uh, <laughs> like you said. And, you know, like the future for, for candidates, right? Because we do recruiting. I want to make the future sure. brighter for the companies hiring than the people going into those positions. So I like the name. I think it's cool. On the the data side of things, is that more like um, analytics, like reporting, data integration? Um, what is that? Because data is such a broad subject, Brian. Like, what, what does that mean yeah. to you? So, first of all, I want to let this out. Is is part of data is like I hate the word digital transformation. That means you're you're basically have an antiquated process that you're not thinking about technology, right? 
So I like to use digital native or digital evolution in which that you are taking your data, which is in, in essence a physical manifestation or physical representation of the work that your people are doing and that what your assets are performing and turning that into intelligence, right? A lot of people will uh, have that and be like, yeah, here's our data. We're going to look at a report. But how do we level up our data and add layers and, and, and turn it into intelligence, actionable intelligence in a secure, uh, accurate way? Uh, this goes all the way from data governance. This goes to the data science side and just basically making data available through uh, cloud infrastructure, on-premise infrastructure. Uh, what's our strategy around how we're going to utilize our data to enhance our mm. business? So um, I help bring order to that chaos because even in a lot of organizations, especially oil and gas, is still very siloed. Is your geographic, your geological data are very is very different from your operational data. But can, is there a way, and that's very different from your financial data? Is there a way that we can put that together and enhance that data um, and add layers of complexity of potentially some ALMI? What what is appropriate, or even of hey guys, you're not even close to being getting the top of that pyramid. Here's the basic bare bones we need to do to continue to level up your business. And so, looking at your maturity, uh, designing a, a quick win system, enhancing that quick win system, and then branching yeah. out and expanding as the appetite for the business gets. It's hungrier for data. Yeah, I, I think that the incremental wins is a big thing. Um, I've seen many data and data management projects fail. Just heard about this other day with a Hyperion data warehouse that millions of dollars was spent on and then the project Man. is abandoned. You have to show some of those quick wins. And I think, you know, shout out Mark Hebert and the Dakota Analytics team. They do a good job with that. Like one, one thing that I've seen with them, I saw this a little bit with Seven Lakes, I saw this with Stonebridge when when I worked there, um, Zeno to an extent. I think it's like, okay, how can I take your data and show you value from it real quickly? Like, does that mean an oil and gas and LOS dashboard that drills down to um, an invoice, right? Or uh, an AFE variance dashboard very quickly, something that I care about, right? What is my forecast? What is my actual? And can I get the image of the AFE? That process right there, could be laborious for a company, especially that has a ton of AFEs. For a lot of oil and gas companies, even if they have tons of AFEs, if they have the right access to that data, that report, they can easily get into it, right? Not much of a challenge. So I think that that's, that's important for, for the industry as a whole for you to map out. Um, and, and, you know, generally speaking, like, I think you know where to start with those things. So you'll deal with different levels of complexity and maturity in, in each of these organizations you go into. Another question I have for you, Brian, about yeah, yeah. running your own business. So sure. for me, like my, my background is in sales. Almost 20 years at this point of doing um, sales, whether it be consultative or technology-centric sales. So for me, in starting my own company, one thing I was not concerned about was being able to sell the offering. Mm. A bigger concern for me is is now like retention of customers and actually servicing, sure. right? Because it's like, cool, I sold it in the past. I could just hand that to someone else. Now I have to hand it to myself, right? Hand it yeah. to my team, manage my team, manage the client, manage expectations. Um, for you, how, how has that been so far? It's a shift, right? Because um, now maybe you were selling the business on certain concepts before as it relates to technology, but now you're running your own company. Now you have to sell, right? That's right. 
probably a little bit more out of your comfort zone. I know for like an IT, a, a technology bit. person, maybe a nerd, not really a nerd, but I'm going to call you that anyway. You, you can do that. You're, you're social, right? You're gregarious. How have you found that so far? Like, do you feel like that's a challenging part of this business? Does it take you out of your comfort zone? Like, what have you learned in terms of like, okay, cool. I got this really good idea. I know I can execute. How do I sell? It's the biggest, that's the, my thing. It doesn't keep me up at night, but it's the biggest challenge. And uh, I, I always am, am hungry to like get myself out of my comfort zone and doing my own business did get me out of that. And this is one of those key things that is, the technology side and delivery, I think, is I can do that. And I can execute on that all day. It's bringing that, getting that pl- that pipeline, that flywheel in, which is my biggest challenge. And so I chose to go the route of um, now I got to get on LinkedIn. I got to start writing content. I need to start showing myself off as hopefully, hopefully a thought leader, or at least coming across yeah. as like I know what I'm talking about, right? And so putting together that strategy is using a different part of my mind and a different muscles. Like, okay, yeah. can I write content on this? What's my blog ideas? Okay. How big should the blog be? And I had to get into a whole world of SEO and appropriate how to manipulate the algorithm because the algorithm basically runs runs our lives on LinkedIn. If you are a marketer, you have to adjust to that. So, and then um, how do I put together an offering? How do I put together a a scope of work? And how do I present that to potential yeah. clients? Right. And so, um, in my consultant, my previous role before KSE, I was a consultant. So I could go in and I could say, here's the scope of work and deliver it. But now I was like, okay, what price point do I have to hit? What's my unit economics? How do I, can I make this break even? I need to reverse engineer my monthly budget, right? A lot of those types of thoughts and conversations run through my head as I go for a walk or in the shower, et cetera. So, uh, and, I, and it's, it's good to have a guy like a, a Jeremy Funk to bounce ideas off of. Uh, and, and lean on of uh, <laughs> lean on a little bit is like, hey man, am I out of line here? Or what would you be doing here? So I appreciate all the help that you've been doing there too, as I get this thing off the ground. Yeah. So, well, it's it's truly my pleasure, and and I will say, I I hate one of the things that I really try to work on about myself is is making assumptions, and and I probably made an assumption about you that you're not <laughs> as creative that you're not as creative as you actually are. I've seen some incredible ingenuity from you on the content marketing side, particularly with your LinkedIn posts, um, sure. as well as sort of your, some of your presentation capabilities that, you know, maybe those, those items were there for you, but you just didn't need to tap into them in previous roles where I was exposed to you. But seeing your level of creativity as, as one of my former friends um, said to me, it said, man, Brian's content is, it's really hitting the spot, right? He's adding value and now you're consistent with it. You've got your fun Friday stuff, right? You're consistently adding value. And I always say this just, just so that you don't stop doing it. I just want to put this out there. So say you get like five likes, right? And you felt like it was a great post and you should have gotten more likes. Well, you know what? All it takes is one person to view your content, view your post and to feel like you got value out of that, right? Mm -hmm. That incrementally is an improvement over not doing anything at all. So it, it, you know, I would just say, just, just keep going. Right. Don't, don't, there's going to be setbacks. And, and there's like, it's, it's, I don't know, man. Like, I'm like anybody else. If I throw a good post out there on LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever, like, I'm checking to see how many likes it has. Like, I think that that's yeah, human nature. All right. Yeah. What's my notification? How is this thing tracking? All right. In the first hour, I got 32 likes. This could be a banger. Sweet. Right. But, but fundamentally, like, you could get a post that has 6,000 likes and get nothing out of it. You could have a post that gets three yeah. likes and one comment, and that person reaches out to you and says, Hey, I want to talk about your business. 
So, you know, yeah. you're continuing to build your brand and it just, it, you know, like, what do you say? Pound the stone, right? You just got to keep, keep, keep pounding the stone and, and it'll continue to pay off. But I love what you're doing. I think that you're carving out a great niche as a, a technology person who has a creative component and, and also brings versatility um, in skill set to the table. I'm going to put you on Appreciate the spot that. now. You're welcome. Okay. Yeah, you're, just, you're doing it. You're earning okay. it. Yeah. So I send prep questions to everybody who comes on the podcast. And then, of course, I deviate from the questions almost the entire time. <laughs> maybe, maybe not Maybe not the whole time with you, but, but most of it. And then I, I really like to put people on the spot with questions that I for sure didn't ask. And, and now I'm okay. going to do that with you. So okay. here, here we go. I'm going to put you on the hot seat right now. And throw Let's a do this. Questions at you. All right. Speed round. Here we go. First things first, you're a big hockey fan, right? Yeah. Who wins, who wins the Stanley Cup this year? I'd say Avs. I mean, I think they're the favorites, right? Uh, it depends. The Hurricanes, the Bruins are good. Bruins uh, there's are some up-and-comers. Yeah, the Bruins are really good. Um, but the Avs, like, I think what hurt them last year is, like, they didn't get any rate. They didn't get any rest like they went from stanley cup and partying really hard to yeah. they didn't get their normal their normal training in the off season this year their legs are young they're hungry they made some great uh, acquisitions to johansson the second line's looking better the pk is incredible uh power play and offense still needs a little bit of work but it's still early so really excited for the abs i love watching them I love talking hockey even though i'm not as good as mark Ibera is or and uh the, our our neighbors to the north but uh it, it, it's like such a to me, it's like art, art on ice. As, as much as I yeah. like baseball, it's, a, it's, a, it's an individualistic game that's played as a team. Like hockey, you have to do tape to tape. You have to move the puck. You have to be in the right spots. And there's a lot of luck involved in which that you have to work, work, work. Those teams that continually can consistently keep their, their legs moving and, and create chances, it's just the more chances you have, the, the better chance for you to score. And that's what I try to do in my business too is like, Work, work, work. Get on the ground. Pound the stone. Uh, stay consistent. Love the abs. So, yeah, and get and eventually get more shots on goal, right? That's um, right. Plus, with hockey too, my my daughters, you know, thirteen and eleven now, they love going to hockey games because I think there's just no bad seat. We've sat in literally the last oh, yeah. row in the three thirty six section, and we've sat pretty close to the uh, the glass. And no matter what, like. Get, it's just awesome to watch hockey uh, live and, and Denver's got a great atmosphere for it. That's they do. One. I want your prediction for WTI natural gas prices a year from today. Oh man. <laughs> Cause I know you track wow. that closely. Okay. Like we all do in oil. I and follow gas. it. So um, I love like one of the things that I love is geopolitics in like, Outside of reading about technology, I like reading I like the new oil or the end of the world is just the beginning and listen to some podcasts on people that are involved on how how something over here in this part of the world trickles down and affects economics in the other part of the world. Um, you can obviously the ma- see the macro trends in WTI and natural gas is consolidation, decarbonization, For sure. digital. How does that affect the price of oil? Well, I think that there's still... Uh, Man, there's so many variables from China's demographics and in, in, in the debt bomb that they have there to the Middle East that they have going on to oh the, the whole Russia-Ukraine thing is did Vladimir Putin have a heart attack last week? Like 
there's so much variable going on, but the, the word that I think, uh, especially the, the, the focus on consolidation and, and the reduced production and lacquer of inventory, you're seeing all these people change, uh, buy people up for inventory is I think it's up, unfortunately. Uh, that's just me and my thought is like, I think if I would be a betting man, I, I think you have to wager on higher natural gas and oil, oil prices over the next uh, 12 to 24 months. Yeah, I would tend to agree because um, demand isn't going down. We've we've seen that. Um, I, I think that the emphasis on cleaner production could create more costs associated with that. Uh, that cost yeah. has to get passed to somebody. That's probably going to be the consumer. Um, another question. What about that I, that what about I, the yeah, sensitivity of shareholder returns for our shale producers? Right, is that they don't want to drill too much they, they think there's sensitivity from their investors is like hey we want to get some money back out of this i think that's got to play a, a play a price too i mean that was a lesson that the industry learned pretty hard you know going back almost exactly nine years ago that it was kind of like a around thanksgiving there was there was blood in the oil patch you know mm -hmm. um, and i think that's when things really shifted from just drill baby drill to drill while also being profitable please free cash flow thank you very right. much right um, and that's sort of just been the way things things have continued um, for the most part. I'd say maybe the Permian's an exception, but now we're seeing a ton of consolidation out there um, as well. Mm -hmm. um, also, you know, curious from your perspective on on cloud. What what is your favorite cloud platform and why? The favorite cloud platform and why? So just any product like SaaS product. No, I mean, you know, I think AWS or Azure, Google sure. Cloud, like where, where do you tend to go and, and what is the reason for that? If you were to make a recommendation. Sure. In in my consulting practice, the answer is always it depends. But for me personally, <laughs> I'm such a consultant now. That's right. It depends on what you're trying to do. But like for me, it's like I, I'm, I consider myself a little bit of a builder. I want to, I want to uh, not be pigeonholed or stuck in a, a system, be a little bit more flexible. And to me, like AWS seems like they have the, the most puzzle pieces that you can put together for cloud uh, to create products, to have rapid storage, to uh, do DR. And that's what we built um, a previous platform on that, that we worked on uh, for years. Um, mm. But like point, point products like Jasper has been really, really helpful. It's an AI wrapper for ChatGPT. Um, I utilize, uh, like open tape or not open table, but air table in my day to day work, sure. um, that it's just like a, a low code, low code on database. Right. So like, like SAS platforms, I think are, are extremely powerful and needs to be part of every tool belt, but like, there's a big push also. And I've had a couple of debates on this on LinkedIn on, we should be going back on prem, uh, for economic reasons. And so, um, it really, really depends. I'm a big AWS guy. Um, I know that there's other industry leaders in the oil and gas space. Vital uh, Energy, for one, is big big investors in oil and gas. For sure. So, like, I've, I've been, and then full disclosure, like I've been on panels for AWS talking about the work that I've done in a previous role. So um, Azure is great for those lifting and shifting. They have a lot of uh, brownfield. Uh, but AWS to me is like if you're going to build and really take advantage of that digital transformation. Sorry. <laughs> digital evol evol evolution. Uh, AWS is the place to be. Nice. Yeah, you know, before I started Funk Futures, I was in uh, an interview process with AWS, and I found it really, really fascinating. Um, the 
it's just such a different model than what I've dealt with on the software sales side, uh, even just the way that, that people are compensated there. Um, but I could see um, some of the energy associated with it, even for a massive kind of market leader, um, the way that they had a level of excitement was pretty impressive. Like I think Amazon mm-hmm. is definitely a model company um, in terms of how, you know, not, not only how powerful they are, but how they sort of ma- manage and distribute that power and wealth throughout the organization was, was really fascinating. I, I just have my heart on doing something entrepreneurial, which, which obviously you do too. And mm-hmm. definitely wish you the best of luck with all of that. Brian, where can people find you? Um, whether yeah. it be online or your website, like where can people learn more about you and, and class four? Yeah, so class four is classiv.com, uh, Becker at classiv.com. You can reach me there pretty easily. Um, all my contact information is there. Uh, on Twitter, I'm underscore Becker B, which warning, you may get comments on baseball and umpiring and hockey and, and just uh, just unfiltered <laughs> thoughts and things like that. Nice. And then I'm a, I have a pretty big LinkedIn, pro, uh, LinkedIn presence in which I'm posting two or three times a week. This week has been a little rough because I've been trying to move and pack for vacation and things like that. So uh, that's where you can find me. And, I, and then uh, if you're in Denver, reach out to me. I'm super glad to meet up in person or in a cigar bar uh, and, and just talk tech, shoot the shit, whatever. So uh, love to make connections, especially in supporting our, our oil and gas industry as well as the, the technology companies here in town. Yeah, I would definitely recommend to any of the oil and gas companies or oil and gas IT leaders that are listening to this podcast, at a minimum, just sit down with Becker. You'll learn something. He has a fresh approach, um, works extremely hard and, and has a lot of knowledge behind um, his consulting capability. So Mr. Becker, I appreciate you. Thank you for coming to the crib. We got to go get some lunch. So we're going to do that. Yeah, that's good. I appreciate you, Jeremy. Thanks for everything that you're doing for the industry and being a great friend. So appreciate you. Thanks guys.